Welcome to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan, and thank you so much for joining us today. We know that uh, there's so many other things going on, so many other things you could be listening to right now, but you have decided to listen to what God has in store for you on this podcast. So we just pray and ask that God would bless you in this sermon Thank you again for joining us. Don't forget, you are part of the Rock Creek Family Church family. Hey everybody, Pastor Justy from Rock Creek Family Church. Welcome to our midweek Bible study where we have been discussing the kingdom of God. And we actually have been on this subject for a while now because for a while we talked about living the kingdom and now we're just talking about what is the kingdom and in so we are using Matthew chapter 13 and the seven parables of the kingdom of God that are found there in that section of the gospel and trying to see what Jesus is really, really wanting to teach us about the relevancy of his kingdom in our world and how we really, really believe that it is, it is relevant, especially now where we see the world um, getting just more chaotic and more crazy. Well, we believe that God has a plan for that, and this tells us how we are a part of his plan. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Today we are going to talk about the second of the parables. Uh, last week we talked about the parable of the good soil. This week we're going to talk about the parable of the wheat and the tares or the wheat and the weeds, right? So, Matthew chapter 13, we are going to start reading at verse 36, and we're going to read through verse 43. As you're getting your Bible, your pen, your notepad, highlighter, whatever it is you've got to get, thank you so much for joining in with us for this midweek Bible study. We love you, and we appreciate you more than you will ever know. If you have any questions, you need anything, feel free to contact me uh, at, at any time and uh, we'll be glad to get back with you and we'll be glad to see what God is doing in your life as well. Um, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in some prayer time. Let's invite him into our hearts and our mind to say and do whatever it is that he wants done today. God, we just want to come to you to say, God, you take the lead. Heavenly Father, you take the lead. We will be careful to follow. Father, we need you in this day and in this hour. We need you, Lord. I need you. Personally, I need you more now than I have ever needed you before. I need you, God. And I want to thank you for, for being there for us and for inviting us and calling us unto a work that's greater and bigger than what we can ever even imagine. Thank you, Lord for doing your work, your kingdom work inside of our hearts. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving in our midst, for moving in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts. Lord, we, we just want to align with you. We want to line up underneath you. We need you to move, Lord. We need you to revive our dry and thirsty souls. Father, we want to say today, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Father, and I ask today that under the, the, the anointing and the heading and the understanding of who you are, 
God, that you would do a great work in this Bible study, not just in the study itself, but in all of our hearts and all of our minds. Let the seed that's sowed today, uh, the seed of your word, the seed of your gospel, let it let it go forth and let it bring good, good fruit, God, in our life. For those that are struggling, help them out today. For those that are sick, bring healing to them. To those that are in need, God, be their source. Here we are today, Lord, saying, come have your way. Father God, we thank you and we love you. Do it, Lord, as only you can. In Jesus' name, we pray and we praise and we worship and we say, amen. Amen. Thank you again for being here, for being a part of this Bible study, for watching. Uh, man, we have been doing this for, for well over a year now, um, and, and I just thank you for being faithful. And maybe this is uh, one of the very first times that you've seen this midweek Bible study online. Well, thank you for joining us if this is your first time. You're always welcome to be part of the Rock Creek family. Uh, that's why we call it Rock Creek Family Church. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ, and we love each other as such. So come be a part of that for sure. All right, Kingdom of God, the Kingdom of God, and this is the Kingdom of God Part 4, the parables of the wheat and the tares. We're going to read Matthew 13. We're going to start reading in verse 36, and we're going to read through verse 43. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the wheat of the field. And he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun, in the kingdom of their father, who ha he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is uh, a, a very, um, very interesting parable. Uh, this, this certainly gets the disciples' mind because, see, what we're reading is actually the, the time in which Jesus uh, explained the parable that he had just spoken to a multitude of people. So now he's in more of an intimate setting. But if you go back up to verse 24, well, we're not going to read that for sake of time, but you could go back up to verse 24 and read through verse 30. And that is where he is explaining and using a an agricultural metaphor to help the people understand the kingdom of God. So Jesus is using this agricultural metaphor to help people understand um, the, something that they could not previously or had not been able to previously understand. Jesus is using what they do understand to help them with what they don't understand. Um, the agriculture was was huge for them in that day. Uh, to be honest with you, um, 
I think it's still huge today. Uh, of course, we live in a, in a society, in a world of modern conveniences. Uh, we just go to the grocery store and we pick it up and we scan it ourselves now, right? We can't even get people to scan it for us. Now we have to do our own scanning. Um, I don't know who's training who here, but uh, I think we're coming out maybe on the short end of the deal because I've done just as much work in the grocery store as those who work in the grocery store, it feels like, right? So we, we go pick out the produce, we scan it, we take it home, and then we consume it in whatever way that we can. But but it's not like it was then where you just go and, and pick it out. You, you have... Uh, an agricultural society that that really depended on this agriculture. Uh, I think we still do. Um, just just think about all of the things that the farmers still grow and still produce for us. It's still very important. We just don't think about it now the way that they thought about it then, because agriculture, what, what back then was power. It was economy, it was life and stability and security, and the way that they worked that agriculture helped them know that they could have an ongoing purpose to their society, to their culture, if you will, right? Their culture depended on their agriculture. Their The, the, the agriculture was something so, so, so important to them that Jesus chose to use that as something to teach something that was so important to him. He's teaching them, he's using their world and their knowledge to teach them about his world and his knowledge. Um, agriculture was power to them. If they didn't have a method and a means to produce agriculture, then they lacked the, the sustainability to keep their culture going. And so Jesus is, in, in essence, trying to teach them that the kingdom of God has power as well. And it's the power of the kingdom of God working in the sons of God and the daughters of God that keep the sustainability going for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Agriculture, the definition of agriculture is the science or the art or the practice of cultivating the soil, producing crops, and raising livestock in varying degrees. Uh, you could take and break this down. Agri, that word agri pertains to a land or a field or soil and, and the working of that culture is the working or the act or the process of fostering growth. Um, it, it's, it, it's a process that is supposed to move always and ever towards by labor, by work, by study, by refinement, moving it towards improving, uh, getting better, more mature, if you will, just as a seed that's sown, the whole purpose is to grow it to maturity so that the fruit can be harvested. Um, another word for culture is not necessarily in the agricultural sense, but in a societal sense, and that is to seek the society of uh, culture. Uh, it is all of our beliefs and how it mixes and mingles one to another, what we say, what we do, how we do it, why we do it. All of those things creates a culture. And the word culture in that sense means to seek a society or to make friends. 
<laughs> I love that, to make friends so that we already know that, that we are in this to live and to create a society of friends, of people, a circle of friends that we can we can be close with, that we can work with and work together with. And, and, and God intended that relationship to be something very, very important. That's why Jesus came. He came to reinstate a relationship with us that we had been missing. He comes now to do that even in our own heart where we try to fill up that void with so many other relationships and yet it's created to have a, we are created to have a relationship with him first. That's why Jesus said at the end of his ministry in a very intimate setting in the upper room, he said, no longer do I call you servants. Now I call you friends. I've been culturing you in about the kingdom of God for three years now, and now I want to call you friends. You are my people. You are my society. And Jesus is using this, this, this metaphor of agriculture to get right down to where people are living in that day. Jesus is teaching something very important. Now you understand that this is also falling within a context of two very important things. The first thing in the, the, that's falling under in a context of this, this parable here is falling under the context of actually found in Matthew 12 that says that a good tree is going to bear good fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. So here we go with some more agricultural stuff here. Uh, but, but but this is something Jesus is trying to, to let people know that, it, it, that if the seed is good and, and it's sown in good soil, then the tree is going to bear good fruit. It is its design. It is down inside of it. The integrity of that seed is good when it's sown. And when it's good when it's sown, it will be good in the harvest. And the second part of the context that we are in when it comes to these parables is that Jesus is talking to a multitude. He's given the multitude the parable, but he's also inviting them to go deeper with him. And a few of them went back into the house after he tells the parable outside the house. And it's all an invitation to know him, to, to abide with him, to grow closer to him, to see his face, to see his heart, to know what he is about. And that is still today the reason why he is ever reaching for us. He's used, The Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of our heart consistently, constantly. He is trying to call us in to know him and abide with him and, and come into his kingdom and be a son or daughter of, of his kingdom, the kingdom of our heavenly father. Now, Jesus uses this metaphor um, to, to also give us some other clues. In fact, there are three things in particular that I want to talk about what he's teaching in this kingdom. Now, there is more. There is, there is, there is more. There's lots more, but we only, only have time today to go into three. And there are three things that we're going to take very personal. God wants to get very personal and wants to help us to abide and know how to abide in him. Because I know that's the big question that's the big question. How 
can I bear good fruit? How can I be uh, who God's called me to be? How can I know my purpose? How can I live successfully in that purpose? I want to bear good fruit. I want to bear the fruit of the character of the Spirit of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, long-suffering, uh, self-control, those things that we read about in Galatians chapter 5. I want to bear the fruit of joy. I want to bear the fruit of peace. I want to bear the fruit of patience. I want to bear the fruit of, of self-control. I want to live in that success, in, in, in living that purpose out. How can I do that? Well, Jesus is teaching how to do that. And he's doing it in a way where he's helping us understand that it is about more and it is about bigger and there, there's more going on than just what I think and what I feel. There's more going on than, than, than just my little bitty viewpoint. Jesus is trying to open them up to help them understand three very important principles. Again, we could go more, but for sake of time, we're just going to choose three. So here we go. Uh, uh, number one, the first point of this parable that I think Jesus is making is that he's telling his disciples, he's telling his the people there that this really is about the kingdom. Uh, this is really about the kingdom and this is really about the king of the kingdom, right? This is about what God is doing. This is about what Jesus is doing. This is about, he said, this is what I'm here for. This is why I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. This Jesus himself says, I don't do anything in my own will. I'm doing the will of my Father. The Holy Spirit doesn't do anything outside of the will of the Heavenly Father. This is about the king. This is about the kingdom. And he goes ahead and lets them understand that there is an enemy of the kingdom. There is an enemy of the king. There is there, there is someone, he, he's very real. He doesn't beat around the bush about it. He just calls it out like it is. I'm glad Jesus does that. And he says in his explanation of the parable that there are seeds sown by, and he says the sower is him. It's the son of man. It's, it's Jesus. He said, I'm the sower. But he says the seeds that are sown, those are good seed, that, that good seed, those are my children. Those are his children. Those are his sons, the sons of God, the sons, uh, the daughters of God. He said, those are the good seeds. He, he, there, there are those that, that he has a calling and, and that he is working in. And that's you and, and me and that's us that are striving, that are wanting to live for him. He said, but there are, there are some other seeds that are sown. There, there's someone else sowing some other stuff. And that is the enemy. And he calls him straight out and he says, that's, that's the devil. That's the devil. Now, the point that I want to make on this is that the enemy is not after the seed. You understand? The enemy couldn't touch the seed. It's amazing to me. This parable is amazing to me that the, Jesus didn't say that the 
enemy came at night while the servants were sleeping and he just started uh, uh, taking a shovel and digging up all of the seed. He didn't say that the enemy came and set fire to the field to kill the seed. He didn't say that the enemy spread poison out so that the, the seed would be killed. He didn't say that the that the enemy came and just drove a tractor through the middle of it all and destroyed what what work was already previously done. The enemy didn't do that, which suggests this. The enemy can only do so much. The enemy does not have power over the seed and the treasure that God has inside of you. He does not have power or authority over you. You are a son of God, not a son of the enemy. You are a son and you are a daughter of the Most High, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are His. You are His uh, you're his treasure. You, you are his blood, if you will. If you're reborn under the blood of Jesus Christ, then you're his flesh and blood. You're his now. You're his property. Enemy has no authority over you per se. He doesn't. He doesn't have the ability to come and 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 completely destroy what God is doing in your life. The enemy couldn't do that with that seed, and the enemy cannot do it with God's seed that he has inside of you either. But what the enemy does do is he comes to sow some, some imposter seed, right? That the tares is, is most likely an imposter seed that will grow up and be an imposter plant that will try to grow up along beside that good seed and that good grain that will most likely become good wheat in this case, right? So the enemy knows he can't touch the seed, but what he's going to try to do is surround the seed by imposters, surrounded by, by, by worldly things that will try to choke out that seed, surrounded by some other seeds that will try to uh, maybe even pull away some of the nutrients and some of the blessings and the things that were actually meant for the good seed. The enemy will try to do that. Now, this brings up another little sub-point here, and that is, why would the enemy do this if there was no value in the seed in the first place? See, sometimes you've got to trust in the treasure God has placed inside of you. And I know it's it's easy for us to dismiss that because we are in a broken body, we're in a broken system, we're in an earthly vessel, and sometimes it's hard for us because the vessel is a clay pot and it is broken and it is earthly. Because it is so, we sometimes look harder at the pot <laughs> than we do the treasure inside the pot. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. That's right. The enemy knows. The enemy, I would dare say, in, in some cases, the enemy 
can, can see the power of God in you better than you can. That's why he's trying to distract you. That's why he's trying to get you to, to give away certain nutrients and give away certain things that, that God has blessed you with. Let me just use one example, okay? How often do we give away our time to things that don't matter whenever we could be giving our time to God? Right? We, we, we see time as if it's something that, that is, it's just here, it's expendable, uh, we, we, we got the next hour maybe, so we'll just go ahead and give this hour away. And we sometimes forget the treasure of the moment we have right here, right now. And to live for God in that moment. And God knows that we have to use our time for things other than reading his word and studying and, and praying and all of that. But yet he also gives us this clue that says, hey, I call you to, by the Apostle Paul's words, I call you to pray without ceasing. What does that mean? That means Paul says, hey, don't ever get to the place where you stop praying, you stop depending, you stop relating on God. In every avenue of your life, in every aspect, I want you to relate to God in that aspect, in that avenue. I want you to recognize the value and the treasure of the seed that's inside of you. You recognize that treasure. If that treasure was not there, the enemy would not come in. The enemy would not come in and try to do this if there was no value there, right? Second point, which brings up the second point, is that there is spiritual warfare. If there's an enemy and an enemy is the kingdom, uh, the, or the enemy is the kingdom of, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. The enemy is the enemy of of God, of the king. And he's trying to work against the kingdom of the king. There you go. I'd spit it out in a minute. Thanks for, thanks for uh, uh, holding on till I did, right? Okay. So the enemy is at work. And this at work of the enemy brings about spiritual warfare. It brings about spiritual warfare. There's no bones about this. The scripture makes it very plain. There is spiritual warfare, and it's all around. It's everywhere. It's every day. If you're blind to that, then you, you then God needs to open up your eyes to see that, that, that this is very important, and the enemy does play for keeps. Now, the enemy, he doesn't care about you. The enemy has no care for you at all. I know that he, he tries to make you feel like that, but he has no real care for you at all. What he is after is the seed. What he's after is, is, is what God is doing. He's after, he's trying to destroy what God is doing. The enemy is bringing about spiritual warfare, but this is why the battle is the Lord's, right? He's after something that is his. So God is going to take that very personally, and he's going to step in and say, the battle is not ours, it is mine. And that's why with confidence we can read scripture in verses like, no weapon formed against us will be able to prosper. The battle is the Lord's. If the enemy is coming after what is the Lord's, then, then the Lord says, this is my battle. I'll fight this battle for you. 
I know a lot of times we get caught up in the struggle of fighting and warring and battling and striving and struggling. We get caught up in all of that. But the truth of the matter is this, that, that God sees this warfare and is willing to step in and work this out. He's willing to move in this. He's willing to help this. He's willing to, to step in and, and do a work here. You know, I think my, my little dog is saying amen to that. I think even my dog picks up on that, right? We all say amen that the battle is the Lord's, that the enemy is coming against what God is doing. But yet at the same time, God is saying, no, this is my battle. This is my battle, okay? So number three, number three is if this is his battle, then God trusts the integrity of his seed. Roxy, that's enough. God trusts the integrity of his seed. It's kind of like in Genesis when God did the work and then he looked back and said, this is good. That God has enough faith in his own ability to carry out this process of working what he's already called good. He only he called it good one time. He didn't say it's good and 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 it's good, and it's good. I, as if he's trying to to self motivate and self validate and trying to trying to make sure that he knows how to keep everything in line and in order. No, he says I know how to do this. That's why I'm doing the work at first. It is a good work, and and when I say it's good, then it will produce and do what I tell it to do. I have faith. He has faith in his own ability to carry out this process. Well, we're in that process. And so he looks at us and he says, he says, I look at you and I see that, that I know the seed I put in you. I know you are good and I have faith. I have faith that I can bring it about. That's why Jesus could say in the context of all of this that a good tree will bear good fruit. That a good tree doesn't have to strive and struggle to bear this good fruit. That the tree will bear the fruit because the, the fruit is found in the integrity of the seed. Oh, but this is why the enemy came against Eve in the first place in the garden. Because he knew Eve was the one created to carry the seed. Eve was the one that, that, that had the, the, the ability to carry that seed and produce something that was miraculous, something that was good. And the enemy came against her first. And that's why the enemy does use us, if you will, as a pry pole against the work of God because he tries to get us to believe. Those of us who are the good seed, he tries to get us to believe that it's not good and that it's not what God says it is. And if we can doubt that, then, then basically we take ourselves out of the picture. And that's where the enemy, that's what he's trying to, that's why, he, that's why he attacked Job in the first place. He tried to do that. So, so here's the payoff. Here, here we come down to this, right? What's the payoff? The payoff is this. So our burden is not found in striving to produce good fruit.
our burden is, is, is a focus on keeping the integrity of the seed intact and, and, and remaining in that integrity. In other words, focus on being. Focus on being, being God's, being His, being a son, being a daughter. Your, your focus, your burden is that. Your focus, we are created in the image of God. God, the great I am, the eternal being, created human beings, not to find purpose in doing, but to find purpose in being. And from holy, fully, completely being, the doing flows forth out of that like good fruit from a good seed. Our burden is to seek the face of the one who is sowing and he will take care of the rest. That's right. You focus, as Jeremiah 29, 11, 12, 13 says, you focus on the planner and he will give you the plans. He will unfold those plans before you step by step by step by step. You shouldn't have to struggle to bear good fruit. Your burden is found in, in, in the integrity of being a person that consistently seeks the face of God. That friendship Jesus is inviting us, that culture that he's creating in us, he's cultivating in us. He's creating a, a culture of, of us relating to him and him relating to us. That's why Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus says, as we come full circle, I call you not servants. I call you friends. I think he wants to call you friend. And I think we need to treat God as such. I think we need to focus, let our burden be on being his. And God will take care of the rest. God will, will cause us to bear good fruit. You know, we can't seek joy and seek peace. No, we seek God. God gives us the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God working in us, and that automatically bears the fruit that we are looking for. I hope this made sense to you. I hope it maybe drew you in deeper and closer to God. I hope maybe it, it helped you out a little bit to realize that, that God looks at you. He knows the treasure is in you. And he is willing to do whatever it takes to, to cultivate in you a lifestyle that will bear good fruit. So take comfort in knowing that God is at work and that he is doing an amazing work in you. Let him do it. Father God, we love you and we thank you. We ask, Lord God, that you would take us and make us the good seed that you, you called us to be. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come in and you would cause us to bear good fruit, that the excellence of the power of what we bear is not found in our earthen vessel, but in the treasure in which the, in which the Holy Spirit is working in our life, that we, Lord, we focus on just being yours, 
that the joy of the Lord, the joy of that would be our strength. Father, I pray now that you set free those that are bound in legalistic struggle. Set them free to be yours. And he who the Son has set free is free indeed. And we say this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Please, please, let, I want you to know that I am praying for you. We love you. And we ask if there is anything that you, that you need us to pray for, just let us know. Get us somehow. We will be glad to pray with you. We love you. And we pray that you have a great rest of your week. We hope to see you Sunday. Peace out. Thank you so much for listening to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan again, and we are so thankful and grateful for you to be here and join us. We ask that you would make sure that you subscribe so that you can catch other podcasts as they come out. Also, if you would rate it and comment, let us know how God has blessed you through this podcast. We love you. We thank you. Have a blessed day.